You're listening to What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. In this episode, I talk to Laura Creedle, whose debut work, The Love Letters of Abelard and Lily, comes out on December 26th. And here, you'll listen to Laura talk about what really motivated her and the event that set her off to writing this book. Uh, so, Laura, what book hooked you? Oh, that is an interesting question because uh, I'm d- dyslexic, and so I learned to read very, very late in life. Um, my father read to me, and I spent every day in the summer from first, second, third grade um, going to a um, tutor next door to learn how to read. So it took me a very long time how to read, to learn how to read. In the meantime, my father was reading me Nancy Drew and the mixed up files of Mrs. Basilie Frankenweiler, which was, I think, my favorite. Um, yeah, because who doesn't want to live in the, the Metropolitan Museum of Art? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, the first book that I read by myself I don't think I read a book by myself till I was like fourth or fifth grade, which seems peculiar, but there you go. Um, it was actually Jane Eyre. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of like I I couldn't read, I couldn't read, I couldn't read, and then I really because I'd been read to so much, I when I finally learned to read, my I, I caught up pretty quickly. So, and uh, I know that's kind of an odd book to read you know, I think in your, when you're in fifth grade, but it was just one of those books that kind of resonated with me in a really weird way. Um, because I, I was dyslexic and ADHD and did not have a good time in school. And I just kind of, I picked it up, I think off one of my parents' shelves and I really liked this, her sense of injustice. It just kind of grabbed me. And and so you know, from that point on, once that you had that first book and it was, you know, a very big book uh, in terms of, you know, I'm sure, you know, most people don't encounter that book till till perhaps college. So, you know, a decade and a half, maybe later. Um, but from that point on, after Jane Eyre, when, you know, you're in fourth or fifth grade, did it kind of take off from there and that now that you could read and maybe had the confidence now to read that you started to take in a lot of more books on your own from that point? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I, I read, I, I, it wasn't like all, all adult books. I read kids' books. I read, um, God, I read uh, a lot of weird popcorn romances. I went through a, a kid's sci-fi age. I read this um, series called The White Mountains. I don't know if it, if any, I've, I've looked for it, and it just it seems to be out of print and hard to find. But, yeah, I've read it all the time. Um, and I would just go through phases where I would, read all romance or all sci-fi or, you know, just, I'd, I'd go through, you know, different phases. They're just, and then I'd stop reading it. Yeah. And so, you know, during this time you were, were you dealing with ADHD and dyslexic and being dyslexic in that you had some sort of name for it, that you knew that there was a distinct issue or was it one of these situations and where, you know, you have kids that have these issues, but it, but it presents itself in a way where it might be misinterpreted as behavior problems or things like that. Yeah. I mean, actually, because I'm dyslexic, I was diagnosed 
and because I could not read, could not write. Um, and so I got treated for that, but I, because of how old I am, there was no ADHD. There was no such mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I was just the, the spaz kid. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I didn't know that I was ADHD till I was an adult. And actually my younger brother got diagnosed and, and, um, got put on a, a drug regimen and then I, I did too at that point, which was, I, I was already like sort of a wild child. I'd, I'd been through college, fallen out of college, um, gone and lived on my own, started college again, fallen out again. So yeah, uh, I was in my mid twenties when I, I actually got diagnosed. Hmm. And so at what point then in your life did you want to create stories of your own? I think I always wrote, and when I when I think about, you know, why why I love Jane Eyre so much, um, she was going through all of these, uh, you know, first as as an orphan and then being in a girls' school, where everybody was just sort of telling her, "Behave, this is the way life is," you know, you. You know, we just accept it. And uh, that resonated with me so much because I, and she wouldn't. And what struck me was how angry she was. I, I, I reread this as an adult and I was kind of surprised because I imagined, oh, it's very old, you know, that it's not going to, not going to resonate in the same way. And I, I was shocked at how many times she, in, in the, the first part of the novel, she says, I, I misbehaved or, or she just blurts something out. Or she yells at an adult, which you know, unheard of, right? But that really resonated with my experience. And I'm not saying that uh, the character Charlotte um, Jane Eyre is ADHD, but she does these kind of ADHD things that make everybody tells her she's bad, she's bad, she's bad. And when you're ADHD, and you know you blurt things out or you interrupt or it's you're bad. You know, it's not not that you have a neurological difference. It's for the most part, yeah, you're a bad person. So um, I started writing, I guess, you know, very young, just keeping a journal and uh, just writing in that sort of recording my experience way. And I continue to write um, all through my, uh, yeah, through my 20s. When I was in my, my maybe 19 or 20, I was um, living uh, with a boyfriend and he took, and I was just journaling. I would sit down every night and just journal, journal, journal. He took, he was like, his mother was actually an, uh, a writer. And he said, why are you writing? Not, <laughs> not doing anything with this. So he took a bunch of my, he just pulled stuff out of my journal and took it to a little zine and, uh, got, and got them published like just little excerpts of my journal. And so, um, at that point I thought, Okay, uh, I'm get, I you know I can really write and have people read it, which I hadn't really thought of before having people read it. And uh, at at some point, his mother said, "Well, okay, take this journal and make it into a novel. We'll just make it into kind of like a um, a journaling novel, and just don't do you know don't make many big changes in it." And she she had she actually had a bookstore and there were um, there were offices at the bottom of the bookstore 
and she had you know four offices together and she gave me an office next to her office and and I sat there and I tried to like make sense of it and I tried to revise and I was like my early 20s and I literally I was doing the scene from The Shining just you know <laughs> I'll work in no play makes Laura just to keep typing so they would think that I was doing something because I had no idea what I was doing at that point so uh, yeah um, and you know I, I did that for about three or four months and then I think they figured out that I, I was kind of uh, not doing anything so that that kind of ended my writing career for a very long time um, because uh, you know writing and editing two separate skill sets I could always write man learning how to edit it's a whole nother ballpark and so what was it then that brought you back after sort of that encounter uh, with writing? Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I, I had kids. I mean, I, it's, it's interesting. I, I didn't write for years and years and years. I played guitar in a, um, in a series of bands. And uh, I started writing a little bit when I had kids, but I was still playing. I was still playing, um, you know, a lot recording. And uh, I uh, got to the point where and I, I, I was playing less and less as I got older, but mm-hmm. I got to the point where I was like doing shows and my thumb was hurting. And uh, I went to the doctor and I was like, why is my thumb hurting when I'm playing? <laughs> she x-rayed my thumb and she's like, you don't have any cartilage left. Wow. So I was kind of a crazy thing. I was like, oh, end of guitar playing right there, you know. Um, I had surgery on my hand, but, and I can still play occasionally, but just kind of came to a grinding halt. And I think, I, I mean, that's kind of an odd thing to say that like that really kickstarted me back into writing, but I, I just, I'd been in a musical realm and I'd been for a while I was teaching guitar at girls rock camp here in Austin. And, and then just suddenly all of that came to a halt and I, thought what am I going to do now and I just naturally returned to writing which I'd done so for so much of my life just you know journaling and writing and and at that point I think I was more ready to actually craft a story Mm -hmm. you know Um, and it sounds like you know with the guitar no longer an option you needed that some sort of creative outlet to, to kind yeah, of put that yeah, energy in. Like I, I spent a, a little while sitting in my room at night going, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, yeah, once once one creative thing ends, you just you have to have something else or you go, go a little nuts. So, yeah, and, so, and so at one point, you know, you're starting to pick up this writing again. At what point did you kind of commit yourself or organize yourself that, you know, I want to – uh, write a longer story, uh, maybe a fictional story, and, and with the hopes of having it published? Well, I actually wrote a, a, an adult novel, and it was one of those I, – I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Sideways where he has yeah. a box and then he has another box and then he has another box. That was my novel. It was like 300,000 words, I, I, and I could never quite pare it down, and it had two narrators – and I, I did a lot of work with workshops, and I had a great writing coach, and I, I, I brought it into groups, and everybody, you know, people didn't know me, so they didn't know how old I was, they just knew I was writing, and they, they just looked at the younger 
they were there were I had two narrators. One was a woman in her thirties and one was a teenager. And everybody who read it said this thirty year old isn't resonating. You know? They were I, and I actually I joined a, a, a an online critique group and I started showing people my work there and um, and they really didn't know who I was. And I had a, a a young woman say, "Why are you trying to write older than you are?" You know, she really thought I was a teenager. For some reason, my voice settled into this kind of sixteen, seventeen-year-old range. So that kind of directed me in a way. Um, and then I had a second experience. So that that's my my giant literary novel in a box in my closet that someone will have to burn for me someday. Right. Uh, yeah, it's sitting there. It's got a, a burn instructions if I ever if I ever uh, if I ever kick it. Um, so uh, the second thing that that kickstarted me was um, my daughter was I guess ten or eleven, and all of her friends were reading that novel about the vampire, <laughs> and uh, she somebody gave it her a copy, and she threw it across the room. She was so disgusted. She she reached the part where where the vampire leaves and then the, uh, the girl sits in her room by herself for like three months, you know. And then and uh, and there's a page that says October, November, December. She was appalled. She just the idea that like a woman would wait for a man for any reason just was like, yeah, yeah. She's she was appalled by that. Um, and so I thought I set about writing her a uh, a fantasy novel that had a little more of a feminist event that would had have have a romantic angle because I think she wanted that, but but wouldn't require like a soul sucking conformity to uh, you know a a romantic heroine notion, which I honestly bed back into my, my Jane Eyre thing. So I, I started writing this novel, and once again, it began sprawling. It, it's huge. Uh, she loves it, and she every time we talk about it, she's like, well, when are you going to finish that? When are you going to edit that? So maybe one day my sprawling fantasy novel will come to fruition. But right now, yeah, it's not the direction that I'm, that I'm going in. But uh, So that really started me thinking about YA, because, she, you know, she is the YA audience, so I wanted to write something for her to read so that's crazy um, uh yeah and actually if you get a chance listen we're recording this on the second and i in the episode i just released with mary Lindsay, she has almost the exact same story <laughs> where her daughter was reading twilight got sick of it and she mary said well i might be able to write you a story and that's how yeah, she got I can do better than this i can give you something that is is aspirational and not you know crawl so, inside that box yeah so that's funny so i think there's a whole generation of women writers who went mm, no i think so i actually i think men, so it's I, like i imagine men do that too you know so yeah i think there's definitely that you know guidepost or that pivotal like kind of moment when with twilight but uh you know, it sounds between that critique group that you were talking about when you had that first literary novel and, and the experience with your daughter, you were kind of being, you know, the cosmos or whatever you want to call it was kind of edging you towards YA at that yeah. point. So did you feel like at, that you needed to understand that whole category of, of literature and books and 
and that you have to start reading a bunch of stuff to kind of understand uh, maybe what was going on or how it was different than some of the other books that you were writing? You know, it's funny. I did read a lot of fantasy, but I didn't, uh, why fantasy, but I didn't necessarily delve into why contemporary that much, which is actually what I write. And I kind of came in, in that in a very sideways light. And what happened there was I actually started graduate school and um, I, I'd always wanted to teach uh, dyslexic kids how to read. And there's a real shortage of people who are certified for that. And I started this, this uh, summer reading program and I started failing terribly. And one of the things was that they had a, a rubric that was all different fonts and typefaces and, and uh, uh, abbreviations. And my dyslexic brain could not get a hold of it. It just couldn't. And I kept going back to them saying, can you explain this or, you know, can you, can you, can we write this out so that I can, it's not all. And they were like, no, this is how we do it. And, uh, so the day it was a a two and two week program. So the day and to finish, we had to work with a student and I, I worked with a student and I just knew I'd failed. I knew by the look on everybody's face that I had failed. I'd had a, I stumbled reading the book. It had a script that we're supposed to read. And I actually, I'm don't read very well word for word. Um, and so when, uh, when we got to the end of the day, they had talked to everybody who was in the program except me. They didn't talk to me. So they were, we were supposed to go through a review of our lesson plan. They did not talk to me. And, I watched everybody go back and talk and and everybody go back and talk and they never got to me. And they, then they were like, Hey, you all graduated. And they held a graduation ceremony and they gave us all like bubbles and hugs. And, and I knew I hadn't graduated. And, um, and it was very similar to many things that I'd gone through as a child where like, uh, you know, I was the one person who hadn't graduated. Um, they pretended I had. And so I went back to talk to them, and I was kind of mad. I, I, in a previous life, I think I would have been um, upset or, or, or you know, feeling kind of terrible about myself, but I just got mad. I got very mad, and, and, and they said, I said, why did you pretend that I graduated? And they were like, well, we didn't want you to feel ashamed. And I'm like, I am not ashamed of who I am. I, I am this person. And I have this series of deficits. You're ashamed of me. And that's a problem. And I went home and I started writing about that experience. And it tapped me into my high school experiences around, and my even younger experiences around failing and trying and failing and trying and trying and trying and knowing that I was going to fail. Um, and you know, this is a pre accommodation era that I grew up in. So I just knew that the book that I had was about a high school student. And, and I started writing about what that felt like and 
being a smart kid in school and knowing you are never, ever going to get through school. And I didn't get through school. I actually, um, I actually uh, left high school, was failing, took a GED. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what started my book. It became a romance in some ways, but the uh, start of it was really about that experience. And is that book uh, your debut release? Yeah. All right, so, yeah. Let's, so let's talk about that. Uh, uh, the Love Letters of Abelard and Lily uh, comes out December 26th. So let's start off. Give me sort of a synopsis of what the book's about. All right. Uh, so Lily is ADHD and dyslexic, and she's supposed to be on a medication for her ADHD, but she hates it. So she shoves it in a... Um, a jar under her bed and doesn't take it. And so uh, there's no break on her impulsivity and she ends up breaking a sliding wall um, between classrooms along with Abelard and they, they end up in, uh, in the office together and detention together. Abelard is uh, um, autistic, um, high functioning and uh, they just sort of click, you know, they uh, and and as it turns out, uh, they they realize that they have a prior relationship because Abelard's uh, father is a professor of medieval history, and Lily's father was one of his students. So they end up talking about all sorts of crazy arcane stuff like medieval history and Pokemon, and and they both read uh, the Poetic Edda. So. You know, they just have all these weird touchstones, and they they begin to text uh, quotes from uh, the letters of Abelard and Heloise, which I know it's kind of an obscure reference point, but so that's the story. And so, obviously, you know, you already shared with us the um, kind of the nugget or that initial idea, or that you know that this book was really a reaction to a lot of things you went through. Uh, so is there a lot of you and your experience in high school uh, that maybe you changed some of the details, but it but it's in there in this book? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, I, I did change a lot of the details. I, I, and I had to kind of I had to kind of uh, pull it back. Weirdly, I, I, you know, I, I had all these scenes where it really gets expelled and um, yeah, and I was just like, no, I it, because it, it, you know, I needed to focus a little more on the romance. But yeah, there's a lot of, lot of, lot of me. No expulsion, which I get expelled several times. But uh, yeah, there is a lot. Her impatience and her like random, uh, low-level destruction of things, very much me. And so when it came to once you sort of had this kind of start uh, for this book. What was it like then writing it, uh, that process of, you know, going through and, and, and telling this story? Uh, did it happen quickly for you? Uh, were there kind of, were you able to give it all your attention? Were there starts and stops? Well, when I started writing, I'm, I'm very much a, and it's, I think it's part of being ADHD, I throw everything at the wall. I had 15,000 plot lines. I had this whole tirade about testing and a student protest and, and it was all crazy and as and I had a bunch of beta readers and they kept saying 
what, what more Abelard? He's he. They have such a great relationship, and and so as I went through sub, subsequent drafts, I I just found myself pulling the romance up because people were really, you know, it, it was hopeful, and that's the thing. I I I did write authentically about a lot of my experiences, and and some of them were really hard to jump back into, you know, feeling hopeless, and her relationship gives her a sense of hopefulness and, and Abelard's sense of hopefulness that they didn't have um, before. So that was, that was the little fantasy part. <laughs> and so at, at what point, you know, what was then it like that once this book was in a, was in a state in which you thought it was uh, okay or strong enough to put out in agents in front of agents, uh, how long of a process did that take? Oh, infinitely long. Um, and it's a funny story because I uh, I wasn't done with it. An agent put out a call for uh, uh, YA novel with somebody who's neurodifferent. And I thought, oh, you want my book? So I just queried her. She said, send it to me. I wrote the rest of it in a weekend. And, you know, I was kind of like, oh, my God. Why did I query someone with half a book? So she wanted a full, so she took it, and it, it took six months for her to get back to me. And she was very kind um, in saying that the first part of the book was beautiful, and the second part of the book was. I, agents are so kind, it, you know. It, I think she said something that it was a, a little uh, underdeveloped, which I think meant, you know completely off the wall. So I went back to revise and revise. And and then when I felt like I had it in a good place, I started querying and I queried and queried and people people asked for fulls and partials and some people liked it and and uh then but you know, I queried a million people. Uh, and I had a, a dream agent. I queried him like five times. Well, actually I queried on this project. I, I think I queried him two or three times. And then he never responded. So I queried another agent's agency. She never responded. So then I, a friends had told me about Pitch Wars. So I got into, uh, you know, I wrote wrote the uh, the whole thing for Pitch Wars and entered, and people were uh, mentors were requesting my work, and uh, and then I thought, okay, well, this they seem excited, and the day of the re- Reveal came in and I was not in and I was sort of crushed and then one of the um, mentors who uh, was you know had already picked somebody said can I I love your novel I'd already picked someone I thought someone else was going to pick you so she she took me on as a secondary and uh, got actually when somebody dropped out she got me into pitch wars um, and I Marty Marty Mayberry, I owe her everything. So, um, you know, because she she worked with me and she helped me romance it up. Um, she was the person that uh, she told me I had to have a kiss, romance, and I, I I was like, Lily is spastic and crazy, and Abelard is uh, on the spe- autistic spectrum. They're not gonna kiss, and she was like, no, make it work, work it, work the romance a little more. They can't just talk and bounce off the walls. Um, so. Uh, yeah, so, and then when, uh, the agent day came, I, I got 18 requests, which uh-huh. just, 
blew my mind. And I, I sent it off to the 18 agents and, um, and eight of them read it instantly and, and, and offered. And I got eight offers. And I am, because I am ADHD, I, I've got a limited attention span for the phone. It's better Skyping. I can see you. You're there. Sure. Um, but uh, I, had, I had one day where I had, you know, six hours of phone calls. Wow. And I had made a list of things that I was supposed to ask people, and I would ask them. And then I would go, I know you said something, but I have no idea what you said. So I got to, I had, I had a, a clear favorite, somebody I absolutely adored talking to her. But then I got to the end of the day and the agent that I had, was my dream agent that I queried like two, three times. He was, he, he, he came, he sent me an email and he said, say this other agent, the one that I queried after, drop this on my desk. I'm not even part of Pitch Wars, but can I? can I talk to you? Cause, um, and will you send it to me? So he read it instantly. And, uh, and then the last, the day that I talked to all the agents, I looked at my caller ID and it was, he was the last person I talked to. And I was kind of like, you had your chance. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you calling me now? I'm exhausted. I just want to go crawl in bed. And, but I thought, okay, you know, pick it up. And, I talked to him and he was just, he was wonderful. And there was a reason he was my dream agent. He just like understood me in a way that, and other people were like, you need to change this. You need to change that. You need to change this. But he, um, they wanted me to get rid of um, the doctor. She calls him Dr. Brain Guy. Um, and he, I said, people are telling me to get rid of Dr. Brain Guy. And he was like, no, don't do that. I read young adult fiction all the time. Do you know how often I see a, a, an intelligent, thoughtful adult male in YA contemporary? He's like, never. <laughs> and, and so I thought, this is, this is the guy, you know? So, yeah. And, and he's, he's been wonderful. So very happy. And so through this whole experience, and it's coming out, you know, December 26th, and because the book... Um, it's so personal to you in that it, you know, there's, it's, you know, it started with kind of you reflecting on your experiences, has the whole uh, process of writing the book and then having it accepted from an agent and having it, you know, accepted by a publisher and now it's coming out. Has it been therapeutic for you, this whole process? It's really strange. Uh, one of the, the hardest things about, being ADHD is I have zero patience for waiting for anything mm -hmm. and publishing is just waiting. It's crazy. I have half the times I go, I'm just done. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to answer my emails or talk to anybody. It's, you know, it's taken too long. It's taken too long. But, um, what has been gratifying is that, uh, and kind of unexpected, even though I, I should have expected it is I've had beta readers, who were like, this is me. I, this you, you've written about me and, and, uh, yeah, that is, that's worth it. And I'm, I, I, I'm kind of hope that, I mean, there, there's always the, uh, the thing, uh, um, I guess Tony Morrison said that if, if you, you want a book in the world and you don't have it, you should write it. And I'm, that's my hope that like, kids who are like me will see this and see themselves and 
and see that that experience is not just them. And that's what I hope for. And I guess it's easy to say that this was this is a book that you wish you had growing up. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It's funny. Um, I because I, you know, this, I'm a debut author and I, I've been on Arc Exchange um, for the year. I've gotten to read books that I wish I had when I was growing up. And I, I got to read this book by an author named Anna Priamaza called Cat and Meg Conquer the World. And it's about a girl who's ADHD. And I was like, there was never this book and now there are two. <laughs> like, oh, lucky, lucky ADHD children, you know. So, and she, her book is very much about friendship and, and, and she's got, it's, you know, it's, it's very different from mine, but her, um, her character Meg tends to come on hot and fast in all friendships and drive people away. And it just, reading this just kind of broke my heart, you know, thinking of myself as a nerdy, you know, ADHD girl going, be my friend, be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I love that book. Uh, and, you know, I think that is one of the unexpected happinesses of being a debut author is reading other arcs. And, you know, I've read, um, I read Jared Reck's book as an arc, arc uh, the the um, story, the secret history of the girl next door. And when I saw that you had, had interviewed him, I was like, "Ooh, I know that book. I got to read it before you know anybody else did." It feels like a, a forbidden pleasure. So, yes, absolutely, that's great. So, a few questions, sort of, as we wind down here. First one is, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? I absolutely. I, my son and I went to see. Um, uh, uh, me and Earl and the Dying Girl, and mm. I love that movie. I I thought that was just, I mean, in terms of why that that movie was very fun and funny, and it it caught, caught the tone. You know, I I love that one. So I guess that would be those would be two of my top contenders. Very good. The next question now, there's probably many answers to this question, but when if when you think about, uh books or series uh, is there one that stands out that you're willing to admit that you've either never read or started but didn't finish oh god there's so many i have to tell you the truth and this is this is probably the the story that people go what um the first harry potter book came out when uh my daughter was at the right age to read it or have it read to her because she was dyslexic too. So my husband read to her and we had a friend living with us at the time um, to live with us when my kids, I mean, basically from when she was born until when the kids were like 10 or 11. So she was like an aunt. So they felt like my husband and my friend felt like I got to spend more time with the kids. Therefore I was not allowed to read. So she read all of um, Narnia and he read all of Harry Potter. I have never laid hands on a Harry Potter novel. Wow. I've been around when well, it's being sure. read. I've actually gone in and gone, ooh, this is interesting. I am going to to eavesdrop. And I've also seen all the movies because I had kids multiple times, you know, sure. have those uh, playing all the time. But I've never actually read Harry Potter, any of it. Isn't that terrible to admit? I mean, <laughs> people are like, what house are you? I know that I'm uh, um, a Ravenclaw, you know. Right. 
I can tell you everything about it, but I never actually read the source material. So there you go. That's great. Which is a terrible admission for a YA author. <laughs> you know, everybody's like, "Well, you have to leave the party now. You right. didn't read it. Or go home and read them right now." So, but I feel like I've absorbed them through the larger sure. culture. I think so. I think you're a little bit off the hook there. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Now you mentioned uh, Kate and Meg conquer the world. You marry short history of the girl next door. Is there any? What is a maybe another great book uh, that you've read recently? Well, God, uh, I loved. Uh, this is another book that I was like, oh, I got to read this as an arc. Um, Mrs. Sugiura's. Uh, it's not like it's a secret. I love that book. Um, it, she. You know, it's about a Japanese-American girl who falls in love with uh, a Hispanic girl. And, you know, not only are they having to deal with the fact that they are neither one of them are really out, but they, they, have, the, they have their own little racist issues around sure. each other. And it's so honest, you know. I, I think a lot, of, a lot of YA writers are now a little gun-shy about writing about racism and, or making a character racist. In, in subtle ways, you know, and uh, or because it makes them unlikable. And I, I found her characters very likable because they were so honest. So that's one. My um, writing partner um, is actually, and she's actually in the same, she's on um, Hot Mifflin Hardcore too. Her name's A.B. Rutledge, and she wrote this beautiful, beautiful love story called Miles Away From You. Um, Miles From You. And it's coming out in March um, it's just, it's just lovely and very short, but kind of heartbreaking. So about, a a, a, a young man whose transsexual girlfriend, uh, basically, uh, commits suicide, mm-hmm. but ends up in a coma. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And, and he, you know, how he deals with it. And it's very, um, that sounds heavy, but it's actually a very beautiful story. So those, that's my recommendation, um, kid-wise. Very good. Wise. Very good. Well, Laura, I thank you so much for joining me and for kind of sharing your story. Uh, the book, The Letters of Abelard and Lily, comes out on December 26th. Uh, and so I wish you and the book all the best. Thank you so much. And that does it for another episode of What Book Cooked You. Special thanks to Lauren Creedle. Her book, The Love Letters of Abelard and Lily, comes out on December 26th, so I hope you'll check it out. I'm Brock Shelley, and until next time, keep reading.